everyone. You are listening to Casual Wednesdays with Doom Rocket, your one-stop shop for comics, talk, and such. I'm Jared Jones. And I am MJ Kramer. This week, are Spidey senses tingling? Marvel has announced September's Amazing Spider-Man number 74 will be the last issue for longtime Spider-Scribe Nick Spencer, who will be leaving a gigantic Nick Spencer-shaped hole in Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, no. He's kind of a small guy, isn't he? I don't know. I don't know either. Who's going to take over Marvel's biggest book? MJ and I are on the Spider case. Also this week, Peter Milligan and Sally Cantorino explore their human remains for Vault Comics, which, gauging from its solicits text, will feature absolutely zero Spider-Man. Oh, you think so? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, for one, Vault doesn't have the license. Correct. Anyway, anyway. All this plus our top five most anticipated issues of the week, and a spider question from a terrific spider listener. To all the Shutterbugs out there, you better get us pictures of Spider-Man. Pictures of Spider-Man! Right after you listen to this episode of Casual Wednesdays. Hello, MJ. Hi, Jared. Happy Loki Day. (laughs) Happy Loki Day. Happy New Comic Day. Happy New Comic Book Day. Wednesdays are fun. Yep. Yeah, they're pretty good stuff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This week, talking about a lot of Spider-Man stuff and a couple of other things, too, I guess. Mm -hmm. Before we get into all that, MJ, some quick house cleaning, get it out of the way, and then we'll move on to the episode. Sound good? Let's do. All right. We are still looking for listener questions. Some of you have sent us listener questions, and we thank you so much. They're a lot of fun to answer on the podcast. Yes, So if you have a question for us that you want us to read on air... Drop us a line, info at doomrocket.com, Casuals Podcast on Twitter. And if you're on Twitter and ain't followed us yet, give us a follow, why don't you? And also, we are looking for new reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's basically the only way you can help us without giving us a bunch of your money. But if you want to give us your money too, info at doomrocket.com, Casuals <laughs> Podcast on Twitter. That aside, new reviews on Apple Podcasts help out the podcast quite a bit. So if you're in the helping mood, do that little thing for us. Thanks a minute. Yeah. Yeah. All right, MJ, that's all out of the way. Good. How's your week? It's okay. Did you read Spawn's Universe? No. I read it. You told me something terrible happened to a cat in it, and my already very low want (laughs) to read it dipped even lower. Yeah, yeah. It's like the second page. Rough first issue for a springboard towards a new Spawn expanded universe or whatever McFarlane's doing. I saw someone post that there were at least three typos in there. Yeah. It's Rocky. I don't think McFarlane employs an editor. Like a copy editor? Yeah. He should. He definitely should. Yeah. This is one exposition-heavy issue. I don't know why it is. It's supposed to be like the perfect jumping on point for this new thing, but it's like, hey, there's been 30 years of Spawn almost. You better get ready to cram because we're going to have all the exposition for you. It's exhausting. Well, the series is at over 300 issues like 318 issues 19 something like that quite a bit but if you're trying to inject some new life into your kind of tired old franchise this was not the way to do it yeah this was not the way to do it i will say that the art was pretty gorgeous jim chung did the pencils it's pretty beautiful to look at you got tom orzakowski doing letters but when you're you're giving tom orz ten thousand words per caption (laughs) per page it, it gets a little tiresome holy crap spawns universe Decidedly will not be in the top five this week, I'm afraid. I I know that breaks your heart, MJ. Utterly. But uh, let's talk about another character that's closely associated with one Mr. McFarlane. Let's talk about Spider-Man. Spiderman? Yeah, him. Oh. Your best friend, Peter Pimple, the amazing (laughs) Spider-Pimp. So let's do the news, MJ. Okay. All right, let's get into it. So this past week, this happened like right after we recorded last week's episode. Marvel was like, hey, our upcoming September 2021 solicitations will feature Amazing Spider-Man number 74. And don't you know it, it's also going to be the last issue of Nick Spencer. And I was like, you could have told me that three hours ago. Marvel. 
So yeah, MJ, come September, Nick Spencer files his last Amazing Spider-Man issue. Yeah, but hilariously announced yesterday they have already delayed it. It's true. So now we've got a couple of things to talk about. MJ, let's unpack it. All right. What are the details for Amazing Spider-Man number 74? Let's start there. Well, it's going to be 80 pages, and it's going to be drawn by a whole bunch of the artists that Spencer has already worked with on his run, including Patrick Gleason, Mark Bagley, Marcelo Ferreira, etc. Where's Ryan Otley in these solicits? I don't know. That's weird. That's like a weird thing to not have on there, right? Like That's true. Ryan Otley launched the book. That's true. And was on for like three issues and then off for six and then back for two and then off for six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to be fair... That's like a bi-weekly book. Yeah, this book comes out so much. Like, you know, he's going to be having a 74-issue run, Spencer is with this. But if you count in all of the tie-in issues and the dot-whatevers and the crossover tie-ins... It's almost 100, it's isn't it? It's over 100 wow. issues. And that's in like like three years, over 100 issues. Nick Spencer's a huge Spider-Man fan, which there's something to be said about letting a bonafide fan take the reins of your major league superhero book. Yeah. It can get a little fan servicey, a little fan ficky. It could. But for the most part, Amazing Spider-Man hasn't dipped in sales at all. Well, Amazing Spider-Man is never going to dip yeah. in sales. And also, you can't really call it fan ficky. Every single superhero comic ever is fan ficky. Since Roy Thomas joined Marvel, <laughs> superhero comics have been fan ficky. That's just the truth. But you mentioned that there was going to be a delay. What do you mean by delay? What does that mean? So issues 71 through 73 of ASM have been bumped back either one or two weeks each. And then the last three issues of Sinister War are getting bumped back as well. Now, Sinister War, that's a four-issue miniseries, right? Yes, and between Sinister War and ASM, weekly. Uh, so it's one comes out one week, the other comes out the next. I mean, Jesus, look at the schedule. June 23rd, June 30th, July 7th, July 28th, August 4th, August 28th, August 25th, September 1, September 8th, and September 22nd. Non-stop Amazing Spider-Man. Ha, non-stop Spider-Man. Yeah, see what I did there? I get your yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah. This is a little bit more spread out than it was before. Because <laughs> it was week, 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 week. And now it's like there's a couple of weeks that have like a break. Because of the delays, right? Yeah, but that's nice. Yeah, it's nice. It's a little less of a financial burden for the ASM reader. Now, I think we mentioned this on the podcast before, but Ed Brisson's coming on the book to help out. He's co-writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, that has to be to share the load because that's a lot of writing for anybody. Yeah. Even Nick Spencer, who loves Spider-Man. Well, Spencer hasn't been writing anything but ASM for the past three years. And usually he'd be writing more than one title at one time. So this book is taking up 100% of his writing duties. Well, when you have your dream job, you don't want any other job. I guess, yeah. That's the job. You mentioned earlier that ASM number 74 is going to be 80 pages. What is the significance? Is it 80 pages just because it's Nick Spencer's last issue or what? Well, it is also legacy numbered Amazing Spider-Man number 875. So Amazing Spider-Man issue number 74 is also Amazing Spider-Man issue number 875. Oh, the same way that a couple weeks ago, Venom number 35 was mm. what, issue 200? Yeah, but 35 and 200, the disparity is there because, you know, Venom gets rebooted 20,000 times. But Amazing Spider-Man has only been rebooted three or four times. Oh, like I think six at this point. But they couldn't get issue 75 to coincide with 875? I don't know. All I know is that I'm sure they have added in more than just the comics that are titled Amazing Spider-Man. I'm sure they've added in a lot of these dot issues. 
like five years ago, they used to send out emails that would show like a little graphic of all of the covers they were counting in their legacy number. Yeah, but they had to pay somebody to do that. And you know how much they love to spend money. You think that's why they stopped? That has to be the reason. <laughs> they had to pay somebody to come up with the numbering, get the math to prove it, and then hire a graphic designer to make the one sheet sent out to press. Mm. It costs a lot of money to do that, MJ. It's true. That's right. And if we've established anything at all with Casual Wednesdays, it's that Marvel hates spending money on anything up to and including promotion <laughs> but speaking of promotion mj something that happened a little earlier today zeb wells on his twitter has posted an image a graphic that costs money mm-hmm. <laughs> on marvel's behalf that just says beyond with a little spider next to it and some webbing in the background mm-hmm. and if you zoom in it's got like a leather texture to it okay but the hashtag above the graphic says spider-man beyond so what do you suppose that means is zeb wells taking over for nick spencer I I would doubt that, but I guess that could be. Zepp Wells was one of the writers when they were doing that kind of round robin between Slot and Wade. Zepp Wells and possibly one other writer. So I I know that Zepp Wells would be a good spider writer. I just wonder if, if he's going to be the one to take over. Fellow comics podcast, Comic Book Couples Counseling, posted a really good tweet about who would you have take over for Nick Spencer in Amazing Spider-Man? I said Kelly Thompson. She'd be so good. She'd be terrific at it. And most crucially, she's not a white guy. Yeah. But I don't know. I think Marvel enjoys the fact that they have ladies writing their books that are starring ladies. Yeah, but DC's doing it right right now. Top two Batman books written by two queer people, right? One of them's a lady, Mariko Tamaki. Why can't Marvel do that with Spider-Man? That would be cool. I mean, it's 2021, the year of our Lord. Nick Spencer did 74 issues of Amazing Spider-Man. It will be remembered. It will be a fondly recalled run, I suppose. What's the harm in bringing in a brand new voice with a different perspective to write Amazing Spider-Man? I ask you. I don't think they would ever bring in someone who's brand new. I think they would bring in somebody who Tested, is yeah. established. Uh, unless they're bringing in somebody from like another media like someone who's an established novelist or movie God, writer or something. I really, 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 really hope not. I'm sick of that shit. Yeah. Now that Tom Nehesi Coates is getting off all this Marvel stuff, that's the last of it. Like John Ridley, I'm going to check out a couple of things that he's doing. But if Marvel's going to keep poaching writers from other mediums to jump the line in this very long and diverse conga line that we already have of comics writers waiting for their next shot, then I'm just not going to read the book. That's that's going to be my policy going forward. Okay. If it's going to be somebody tested who's going to be taking over for Nick Spencer on Amazing Spider-Man, it's going to be somebody tested in comics. Mm-hmm. And who's more tested than Kelly Thompson? She's a Marvel veteran. She's been around forever. I agree with you. I don't know about forever. That Forever is a long time. Six years at least. She's been, as long as Doom Rocket's been a thing, Kelly Thompson's been at Marvel. She's been consistently writing great stuff. I will attest to that. But I have a feeling it's going to be one of the people who has been co-writing stuff with Spencer on ASM. Because a lot of times Marvel will do that. They will... Pass yeah, the baton. Yeah they'll, yeah, they'll bring in someone to co-write to kind of ease in the new writer. Quote unquote new. But I think... Since Ed Brisson is coming in to help co-write some of these, it could be Ed Brisson. What about Matt Rosenberg? I was just going to say, most recently, Matt Rosenberg hopped in and co-wrote some of the tie-ins. Right. So either of those are probably safe bets, but who knows? Who knows? Who and honestly, knows? Matt Rosenberg would be awesome. He would be. It's true. He's got such a line for like the snappy dialogue. Those yeah. snappy little one-liners that Spider-Man says during battles would be so well done by him. It's true. It's so easy to fuck that up, too, by the way. So many people write Spider-Man, and they make him such a smartass that you hate him. 
I've also heard, I don't know if I've said it in the podcast before, but I've heard other people say that it's always a possibility that Bendis could come back to write it. You know, I wouldn't have agreed with that up until the announcement that JRJR went back to Marvel. I mean, once Dan DiDio left, he was the guy wooing in Marvel talent to DC. He brought in John Romita Jr. He brought in Brian Bendis. And now that he's gone, who at DC wants to keep Brian Bendis around? He's a very expensive writer to keep. Yeah. And if Brian Bendis' DC exclusives coming up, that puts him in a very actionable position to hop over to the distinguished competition. I thought I heard he's not exclusive anymore. Well, then so much the better. He can go to Marvel with his hat out and expect a very big payday for his highly publicized return. It's only been two years. But he's, <laughs> but he's never written the ASM book. Right, that's He's true. written almost everything else. Every other character, he has not written the main Spider-Man title. That's true. Yeah. Well, anyway, who do you think will be writing Amazing Spider-Man come October? If you have any guesses, yours are as good as ours. Hit us up, info at doomrocket.com, Cashwets Podcast on Twitter. And get those guesses in soon, because I have a feeling they're probably going to drop the news ASAP. Either today, when we're done recording, oh, yeah. or by the end of the week. Yeah, knowing our luck, it'll be right after we finish recording, yeah. as usual. We'll read the best guesses on the podcast. Make them, <laughs> make them clever. <laughs> So, MJ, let's position over to DC really quick in terms of news. With a change in the tide from Marvel's Amazing Spider-Man comes a cancellation at DC. Yeah, this yeah. one's a bummer. Is it? Is it a bummer? Yes. We'll explore that in a second. Newsarama is reporting that DC Comics will be canceling the Batman Superman title come September's issue number 22. Batman Superman's a team-up book that features, you know, it's in the title. Mm -hmm. But most recently, it's been written by Gene Luen Yang, which is awesome. I want Gene Luen Yang on a Superman book, without a doubt. Yeah. Superman team-up book feels like kind of a gimme. And the artistic teams on this book have been top-notch. We had David Marquez for a while. Yeah. Most recently, Ivan Riaz and Joe Prado, which yeah. is incredible. But do we need a Batman-Superman team-up book? Is that even necessary anymore? I think a Batman-Superman book is fun, but I know that our story doesn't sell super strongly. I think the main problem here isn't having a Batman-Superman book. It is the complete oversaturation of DC's line with Bat books. There are so many other Bat books to choose from now. I guess people are going to opt for the ones that are just Batman? I don't know. Let's turn back the clock to the debut of the first Batman-Superman book. I'm not talking World's Finest here. Like in the 90s. That was Superman, Batman. That sir. was Superman, Batman. But the reason <laughs> that book existed was because in the post-crisis continuity, Superman and Batman weren't very tight. They weren't very close friends. More specifically, them teaming up together was pretty infrequent. They were kept apart a lot, and deliberately so. But once JLA happened and they became a part of the big-time Justice League book, then all of a sudden, team-up books became more de rigueur, I mm -hmm. suppose. And then all of a sudden, here comes Superman, Batman, and it was a big book. Yeah, I, remember. I mean, Jeff Loeb was teaming up with Michael Turner. I remember. To introduce the Supergirl of the post-crisis continuity. It was crazy stuff. Yeah, I think that was early 2000s, not 90s, because I was reading at that okay, point. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. But nowadays, that shine is gone. There's nothing that a Superman, Batman, or a Batman, Superman book can bring to either of these characters that's innovative or interesting. Their adventures are always going to pale in comparison to the adventures taking place in their own books or in Justice League. They're not going to put the big time stuff in a Batman, Superman book. They'll put it in Justice League is what I'm saying. I do think there is still the possibility of good stories just about their friendship and how they interact together. Because I enjoy seeing that on, yeah. in the hands of a good writer and artist. I think it's really tired, frankly. 
I am not a fan of Superman and Batman referring to each other as Clark and Bruce, especially in the field. Can we put a moratorium on superheroes referring to each other by their secret identities in the field? When their masks are on, when the capes are flying, they're Superman, they're Batman, they're Nightwing, they're Batgirl. Don't call each other Babs and Clark and Bruce and Tim and none of that stuff. It drives me nuts. Because why would a superhero do that, especially if they're trying to keep their identity secret? Why would they say their real names out loud? Well, if I recall correctly, Clark's identity isn't a secret anymore. That's true. But they're not going, look up in the sky, it's Clark Kent. I'm <laughs> sure there's some are. assholes in Metropolis that do do that. But Bruce Wayne would observe the honorific. It's yeah, Superman. Yeah, and I, I think Superman would too. He'd, he'd be very careful. He'd be very careful to protect his best friend's identity because they're best friends. Super best friends. That's right. So September's Batman Superman number 22 will bid adieu to the title entirely. Jean Luen Yang, I hope, bounces back and lands on some other super project. That would be very nice for me. I'm sure he will be on something. He'll, he'll be fine. You know, his regular graphic novels sell gangbusters in the book market. DC does not want to lose Jean Luen Yang. That's right. So, MJ, let's move away from the big two and talk about some independent comics. All right. All right. Specifically, let's talk about Vault. We don't get to talk about Vault too much on this podcast. That makes me sad. We mention them almost every Solicits episode, though. That's true. We always try to hype their, their new upcoming stuff. They pop up in our top five every once in a while, but not very often in the news items, MJ. And I wanted to change that this week with the announcement that Vault Comics is going to release Human Remains in September featuring Peter Milligan, which is a huge get for Vault. Teaming up with artist Sally Cantorino and colorist Darla Kelly with designer Tim Daniel. There's no letterer currently attached to this book. MJ, would you mind taking the solicitor's text for this? Sure. Quote, Dax and Bisa love each other, but in this new and terrifying world, love is dangerous. Feeling anything is dangerous. Earth has a new and terrible invader. Monsters that deprive us of the very feelings that make us human. A shocking tale of pent-up emotions, perilously loud sex, and forced composure in the face of unspeakable horror. From one of the most celebrated writers in comics, Peter Milligan, and breakout horror artist Sally Cantorino, end quote. Sounds pretty damn good to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, and Milligan says he was inspired by feeling so pent up during the pandemic and seeing people out for their, you know, allotted walks for the day yeah. and just how everybody was so closed off from each other. They were socially distant, MJ. Yes. Yeah. Expect a huge glut of post-COVID COVID stories in the comics industry over the next year or so. In every industry. Oh, God. Yeah. And, but oh. still, it's Peter Milligan. And anything Milligan writes, I read. And I really did enjoy Sally Cantorino's art on I Walk With Monsters. That's right. And MJ, do you have a release date for Human Remains? Uh, just September of 2021. I'm sure we'll have a better release date once the full solicits drop. All right. So stay tuned for Casual Wednesdays. Our solicits episode drops during the last week of the month. That'll be next week, right? I think so. Yeah. It's going to be exciting times, MJ. We've got time for one more news item before we bop over to the top five. So much news this week. This is a big week. I mean, we're creeping on the uh, solicits right now. Yeah. We're actually yeah. in solicit territory for some publishers. Well, DC actually got its stuff out on time this month, which is bonkers to me. Because they got dragged last month by Two me. months. <laughs> Two months. Two months in a row. They were super late. And this, this month, they were before everybody else. So good for DC. Yeah. Good for them. Now, I don't want to imply that I have any influence over DC whatsoever. My dragging of them on Casual Wednesdays because of their late solicits. Oh, yeah. They were all listening to our podcast like, oh, in a staff man. meeting and just like so sad. Like, oh, we, we can't let Jared down again. Let's appease this asshole. <laughs> so, MJ, what news do we have left in the coffers? Well, we have a new Jeff Lemire book. You know, 
it wasn't two months ago where I was like, Jeff Lemire's too busy for comics now. He's going to be doing TV. Shut my mouth. Yeah. We'll be talking about that a little more into the top five. But not only is he writing this one, he is also drawing it. Nice to see him drawing again. Yes. The I full en- zest for comics is back. Yes. I enjoy the series that he writes and draws Usually even more than the ones that he just writes. But I was talking just last night to you about this, about how he is so prolific, and yet he never really has the series that's just kind of a stinker. It's like, oh, yeah, that one's just okay. They're all so good. Yeah, all killer, no filler. I don't understand how he is this prolific, and just everything that comes out is just a thing that I love. Now, I don't like to compare things to other things. That's not true. I love doing that. I'm going (laughs) to do that right now. But when we talk about the contemporary Alan Moore... The sensibilities are very different. I would say that in terms of being prolific and also being consistently great, I think Lemire's it. Or as close to it as it's going to get. But if you compare content, you have to take out all of Alan Moore's super problematic things and insert in lots of kids. Because Jeff Lemire's always writing about kids. (laughs) Yeah, and everyone wears flannel in his books, too. I don't know if you noticed that. He's Canadian. It's required in their their constitution. As a matter of fact, the reason I bring it up, his latest book, and the reason why we're talking about Jeff Lemire right now, MJ, (laughs) his new book, which is called May's Book, features a character wearing what I can only presume is a flannel, but the pattern is a maze. It's amazing. It is amazing. MJ, will you share the solicitous text with our listeners concerning May's book? Yes. Quote, a lonely building inspector still grieving the loss of his puzzle-loving daughter receives a mysterious phone call one night from a girl claiming to be her, trapped in the middle of a labyrinth. Convinced that his child is contacting him from beyond this world, he uses an unfinished maze from one of her journals and a map of the city to trace an intricate path through a different plane of reality and embarks on an intense and melancholic adventure to bring his daughter back home. End quote. May's book is a five-issue miniseries and will drop September 8th from Dark Horse Comics. I'm very excited to check this out, even though I've got a Jeff Lemire book coming out this week that I have yet to read. (laughs) That's how good he is. And with that, MJ, I think we should just bop over to the top five. Yeah. Yeah, we probably should, huh? Yeah. All right. This week, I've got the three. You've got the two. I took the three again this week because I was very excited about how many awesome comics came out this week and also Spawn Universe. (laughs) There were a lot of debuts. One of them being Spawn Universe, of course, which is not in this top five. It is not. But topping the top five this week is Black Hammer Reborn. Oh, boy. Since we were talking about Jeff Lemire, I already had it on the script, yes, but you yes, know, yes. it just worked out that way. With art by Caitlin Yarsky, colors by Dave Stewart, of course, and letters by Nate Piekos, because who else could it possibly be? Black Hammer is back. Reborn! Yes, and this is actually going to be coming out concurrently with the Black Hammer Visions miniseries, because as many Black Hammer miniseries as possible. Perfectly fine with that. I mean, if Jeff Lemire feels confident that he can keep it balanced and consistently great, which mm-hmm. we've already established he can then I say so much the better. Plus, we got that Black Hammer TV show coming out soon, MJ. Do not forget. (laughs) I know, isn't that weird to say? Well, we already have a Sweet Tooth show. That's why for different reasons. The presence of Robert Downey Jr. notwithstanding. Yeah. Yeah, Black Hammer Reborn. It's out this week. It's terrific. Check it out. I'm excited. MJ, what's your first pick for this week's top five? My first pick this week is a DC comic, Wonder Woman Black and Gold. Similar to Batman Black and White, Superman Red and Blue, Harley Quinn Black, White and Red, we have a new anthology series featuring 
a duochromatic theme in Wonder Woman short stories. Yeah, they didn't add white to the title, which I thought was weird. Black and white and gold, I thought it would be, but instead it's just black and gold, and yet white's all over those pages, MJ. But it's more like white as a negative space and not white as being a color added. I get it. But the gold actually works really well as like, you know, the little contrast spot color. All of these stories look gorgeous. I'm going to list off some of the creative talents involved. All right. Uh, AJ Mendez and Ming Doyle, Nadia Shamas and Morgan Beam, John Arcudi and Ryan Sook, Amy Reader, drawing and writing and Becky Cloonan drawing and writing. I get some of my all-time faves in this. Like the Becky Cloonan story, which is the final one, is so, so, so good and it looks amazing. It's a little more expensive than the typical book. It's $5.99, but it's got a spine. It's oversized and you should definitely go and check out Wonder Woman Black and Gold number one this week. What's your next picture? My next pick this week is Checkmate number one of six, a new limited series from DC. This reunites Brian Bendis with Alex Maleev. They did a book back in the day. I'm sure you heard of it. It was called Daredevil. They also did a book way back in the day called Leviathan. Yeah, I was going to get to that. (laughs) Yeah, so Checkmate is the long-awaited, at least by me, return to the shenanigans that I enjoyed so well in the Leviathan Rising and Event Leviathan series. I don't know why it took so long for this to come out. There have to be some pandemic delays involved, partly. Maybe. Who knows? It's here. That's all I care about. It reteams Green Arrow, The Question, Lois Lane, Manhunter, Dr. Bones. Bones. And a few other surprise characters. Checkmate number 106 is out this week. Do not miss it. I do enjoy the spy hijinks and... Bendis and Maleev very much excel at that. And it positions Lois Lane in a prominent spot, which is always great. Mm-hmm. MJ, what's your next pick for this week's top five? My next pick is moving over to Vault again for The Blue Flame number two. Awesome stuff. Now, this is written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Adam Gorham, colors by Kurt Michael Russell, and letters by Hassan Osman El Howe. It's so good. This comic is so, so good. The art is great. Adam Gorham switches his art style between two sort of concurrent plots. And the end of the last issue was crazy. And this just kind of picks up from there and gets even crazier. And it's very, very heart-wrenching as well. It's It's Vault's first superhero book. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. Blue Flame number two. Go and pick it up. All right. What's your last pick, Jared? My last pick is a new debut. A new black label from DC. We've got Batman Reptilian. I keep wanting to call it Batman Reptilia. Yeah. Because I think it would be a cooler title, but what do I know? You should give Garth Ennis a call and tell him. It's written by Garth Ennis, illustrated by Liam Sharp, who is doing career best stuff, I guess, at this point in his life, because everything's been great. Letter by Rob Steen. What's interesting about this, MJ, is that it's dedicated to Steve Dillon, this issue, which apparently the script was written for. Really? Yeah. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. So I pour one out for Steve Dillon, and I crack Batman Reptilian, and I enjoy the hell out of it. I'm an easy mark for Garth Ennis stuff, so... Yes, you are. But Garth Ennis on Batman, kind of playing it straight this time around. No high-wire antic goofball shit. Really? So it's like not full of, like, dick and fart jokes? And Liam Sharp's pulling out some Dave McKean-esque Frank Frazetta craziness. Hmm. The art is spectacular in this book. You don't see comics like this very often that's why you should cherish it and that's why i recommend batman reptilia i mean reptilian issue number one is out this week and that closes out our top five most anticipated issues of the week We field a question from one of you, our wonderful listeners. Hit us up, info at doomrocket.com, Cash Podcast on Twitter. This week, Brian McCormick returns via info at doomrocket.com and says, My question relates to Spider-Man and the character status quo. 
keeping a Spider-Man theme going here, mm-hmm, MJ. Mm-hmm. In my head, I have an idea of what I consider the traditional Spider-Man setup and the likes of Lee Ditko, a lot of 80s Spider-Man, early Ultimate Spider-Man, and the Sam Raimi movies fit nicely into that space. However, modern-day Spider-Man stories seem to incorporate Mephisto, alternate universe Spider-Man, supernatural elements, and, of course, clones. So my question is, do you feel the concept of what constitutes a traditional Spider-Man story has changed? Is there a generation of younger readers and writers who consider clones, for example, as core to the Spider-Man brand? I felt like Nick Spencer started off attempting to write an old-school Spider-Man story, but it has ended up going down a non-traditional path with the Kindred storyline, which feels very supernatural in nature, although I'm reading on Marvel Unlimited, so I'm not fully up to speed. I honestly don't know how I feel about these additions to Spider-Man lore. I don't necessarily want things to stay the same forever, but I also don't feel that these are great fits for the character. Thanks again for all your podcasts. And I'm really enjoying the newsletter as well. Many thanks, Brian McCormick. Ah, oh, Brian, thanks for reading Hot Press. Available now at DoomRocket.com. New one tomorrow, right? Yes, I will have a new Hot Press ready for readers on DoomRocket tomorrow afternoon. Thursday, Thursday. Thursday, Thursday. Great question, Brian. And in keeping with our theme this week, Spider-Man stuff, it's fun. Yeah. So, MJ, that's a really good question that Brian posits. Superhero stories, especially Marvel and DC superhero stories, which have been around for decades, can get a little staid, get a little stodgy. So publishers actively try to spice things up. Yeah. And sometimes that means bringing in elements to the character that may not necessarily fit initially. But over the course of years, I mean, you start scrambling to create something fresh and new, and some things just end up sticking. Like clones to Spider-Man. <laughs> like Spider-Man got cloned in one Spider-Man story, and that was supposed to be it. But oh my god, that wasn't it. <laughs> and it came back in the 90s in a very big bad way. And even though the clone saga is bad, and I will die on that hill, I know there are a lot of people who are like, eh, the clone saga is actually kind of good, actually. No. But now Brian's right. There's a whole generation of Spider-Man readers that think clones are just a core part of the Spider-Man mythos. Is this a good or a bad thing, MJ? I never read the Clone Saga. I mean, I don't think it's bad to kind of throw in little random weird plot elements like that to kind of spice things up. Like you said, just you want to challenge the character with something new because you want to maybe possibly reveal something different and new about the character that we haven't seen before. Right. So, I mean, throwing clones at him is fine. There has been... A good amount of like sort of supernatural stuff and mysticism added to a lot of his plot lines. Brian evoked the name Mephisto, he who must not be named, yes. because Mephisto famously or infamously, depending on your point of view, separated Spider-Man from Mary Jane at the consequence of so many future Spider-Man stories. And the question is, was that an extreme Hail Mary on behalf of the Spider-Team at the time? Was it necessary to incorporate such a severely supernatural aspect to the Spider-Man-Mary Jane relationship, which was only unpopular to the Spider-Man team who wants Spider-Man to be perpetually youthful and young and single? Well, Dan DiDio also made that argument during the New 52 that he wanted, you know, there's more story possibility if the character is still single. And that's why no one was married in the New 52, which that's was right. obnoxious. And this, that was about the same time as the Spider-Man-MJ thing. Close-ish. Around, I suppose. Ish. Give or take a couple years. You know. Yeah. But if you look at the Spider-Man mythos from the beginning, I mean, it's semi-supernatural and it's always been rooted in deep sci-fi. So you have a lot of wiggle room in terms of what you can bring into the Spider-Man core. And it's not going to break the character. I mean, it breaks the character when you bring in the devil to break up his marriage. That will break the character. But Spider-Man's story takes place in the greater Marvel Universe. That stuff exists. Yeah. It can happen to Spider-Man because, you know, 
Doctor Strange lives in the same goddamn city as him. Like, that stuff is happening. True. Supernatural stuff happens to Captain America. It happens to the X-Men. It happens to the, the X-Men a lot, in mm-hmm. fact. I mean, Spider-Man is not an island unto himself. Spider-Man's going to be affected by everything that happens in the Marvel Universe for good or ill. I mean, let's not forget, he wore an alien as a costume for a while. Yeah. I would say that supernatural elements, alien aspects, and other elements that wouldn't be commonly associated to a meat and potato superhero yarn like Spider-Man isn't necessarily bad for the character. I would say that all of that stuff is part of a meat and potato superhero yarn. I agree. Just maybe not street level. Right. And I think that's kind of what Brian's getting at. When you read the Dicko Lee Spider-Man stuff, I mean, that's what it is. It's street-level Spider-Man stuff. It's high school stuff. Yeah. I mean, Peter Parker's beating the pavement, looking for pictures of Spider-Man for Jameson, and also trying to have a relationship with Gwen Stacy, make sure that his Aunt May isn't worried about money. And his grades. Yeah. Taking care of his grades, (laughs) making sure nobody knows that he is, in fact, Mm Spider-Man. And then all these crazy supervillains pop out of the woodwork. Not necessarily tied to him or anything to do with him, although that quickly stopped being the case after a while. Everything ties back to Spider-Man in some way. I think that hurts the character more, is when you make every new innovation to the character, be it a villain or a plot twist, that has something directly to do with Peter Parker as a person, and it will forever change who he is the status quo gets totally shaken up. That hurts the character. And that, I think, is what they're prone to do because they want to make every single thing that happens, every story arc, every plot point to be important with a capital I. Right. And something that's going to change the continuity and change Peter Parker forever. That's what they want to do because they that will sell more books. I think the first thing that totally fucked that up for Spider-Man Forever was Stan Lee. And I think John Romita finally was there to do it when they revealed that the Green Goblin wasn't just some maniac in a goblin suit, but in fact, Harry Osborn's dad. It means that any fight between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin is going to be personal, that kind of thing. It's much more fun when you have the rhino just being some asshole in the rhino suit who needs to be stopped from time to time. Some asshole with a Russian accent. There's a reason why one of the most famous fights Spider-Man ever participated in was against the Juggernaut. Because the Juggernaut has nothing to do with Spider-Man. He just kind of happened past Spider-Man one day, and, you know, he's the Juggernaut. He breaks things. So Spider-Man's trying to get him to stop breaking things. Will you please stop doing that, Mr. Juggernaut? And that's what makes it fun, because that's that street level, stripped down, no emotional complications, kind of Spider-Man storytelling that gets lost a lot of the time. Only punch, punch, kick, kick, thwip, thwip. Only that. I gotta be honest. After reading (laughs) Spider-Man for as long as I have, that's the kind of stuff I like. I'm tired of all this, we're going to change Spider-Man's status quo forever because this asshole who looks weird is Spider-Man's nephew from five years back, and also he has a sister from another marriage from an alternate reality who is... From a clone? (laughs) And Aunt May's having sex with J. Jonah Jameson's dad, and like, just stop with that shit. They got married. Okay, so it wasn't that a was, sinful relationship. Yes, yeah. they got married. That was within wedlock, et cetera. Thank God for that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, stop doing that shit. Like, Mary Jane's former stepfather is now the vindicator, and he swears revenge against Peter's barber or something like that. Like, that kind of, like, intertwined Cotton Spider-Man's web storytelling, that can go. Soap opera Yeah. Clones, Supernatural, Satan to an extent. That's the least of Spider-Man's storytelling problems, as far as we're concerned. But thank you, Brian. If you have a question for MJ and I to answer here on Casual Wednesdays, we do tend to ramble. Send it our way, info at doomrocket.com, Casual Podcast on Twitter. And MJ, we got to get you to work. Yes. So no back matter this week. Is that okay with you? It's fine. This was a this was a big episode. Big news week. We did two episodes last week. Yes. Yeah, let's get the <laughs> hell out of here.
that's it. That's all the time we have for this week's Casual Wednesdays. Need more of this to be little podcast in your life? Check out our episode archive via any good podcatcher. Check us out over at doomrocket.com. Also, check out our new episode of Else Week, available in our Casual Wednesdays archives. We covered Batman Holy Terror. We did. You didn't like it. It was bad. Oh, no. <laughs> Rate, follow, subscribe, whatever you want to do, or tell us how we're doing with a review on Apple Podcasts. New episodes every single week, and while you're at it, look us up on Twitter at Cashweds Podcast. I'm at Jared Jones underscore MJ. Where can they find you? At Molly Jane underscore K. So until the day all of you finally get me some goddamn pictures of Spider-Man, I remain Jared. That's MJ over there. And from all of us here at DoomRocket.com, have a great new comic book day. I want those pictures. I'll draw you some. That'll do. 